A Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Welcome to Tricky Kid Radio, where the past and the future meet the present for a fun mix of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, hosted by filmmaker and DJ Roy Turner. <clears throat> hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I am your host, as always, Roy Turner. Welcome back to part three, the third and final installment of our All Things 1981. If you've been following the last couple of weeks, which I hope that you have, you know uh, that we have been documenting all things 40 years later. Like how last year we did 1980, 40 years later, we did 81, and of course 82 will be next year, and so on and so on, uh, to document uh, our favorite, my personal favorite decade. Um, I was born in the early 1970s, so I grew up in the 80s. So all this stuff is very, very special and very important to me. And I had played around with it in the past. You listeners out there know that, but it was really important. That I saw an opportunity that when uh, you know when 2020 came around, I was like, oh, it's 40 years. We can start at the beginning and keep going. Uh, to catch up, I hope you've already have have tuned into parts one and two. We did uh, January through June in part one. We did this this that magical summer through the end of September in part two, and we heard a little bit from uh, somebody who had one of the biggest hits. At that time, and also one of the first videos was Tommy Two Tone with, of course, eight six seven five three zero nine. You're going to be hearing a lot more from Tommy in this episode as we finish up the fall with the months of October through December of all things 1981. Glad you're with us here. So let's go ahead and let's just jump right on in. If you can believe it, after everything, I'm going to be talking like I'm assuming you've heard parts one and two. And if, if you're brand new to the show, we're available on every single platform, the Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, wherever you, wherever you get your podcast. So, you know, a big thing was ever something started over the summer or this year, man. Like all my favorite bands like you know, Motley and Slayer and Metallica and Anthrax and the Beastie Boys and Sonic Youth and all that stuff. Uh, well, you know what? Starting October the 5th, uh, if you can believe it, Depeche Mode released their first record. Uh, of course, the album, of course, Speak and Spell. And if you've heard anything off that record, you've you've heard the song, uh, Just Can't Get Enough. I Just Can't Get Enough. I have a very interesting, uh, at least to me, relationship with Depeche Mode. Not as, not as the people, but with the music. Because I'm a big fan. I really am. Uh, I remember when we first came to Texas in 87 for the 87-88 school year, uh, I didn't know what or ever heard of Depeche Mode. I didn't even know what that was. You know, I was from nowhere, Arkansas. And for me, proudly, by the way, um, and but something like the cute girls in drama class with the nose rings, this is before the term goth became part of our vernacular, were all about this thing called Depeche Mode. And I was like, I need I need to find out about that because all the, all the cute girls at school that I liked uh, were into it. 
And what I found was I was into it. And I liked it a lot. Even though I'm not a goth person, was never goth. I never had the trench coat and the androgyny. And, you know, I uh, I can't even really say. I mean, I, I even really paid that much attention to, to any of the other music. I was, you know, I owned a couple Cure records and saw them a few times. And uh, anyway, uh, so the point is, is that and I really became a fan even much later, like around that time was probably their most popular record. When I got turned on to them was, of course, Violator. That has all the hits on it. But what's interesting is that every time they would come to town, I would try to go and something would happen. I'm that guy who's seen, you know, a band that's not even in my top 50 uh, favorite bands like seven times. You know what I mean? Like just because I go to a lot of shows and doing this and the whole thing. So I actually did not see Depeche Mode in concert until about four years ago, uh, and actually it was the summer, towards the end of the summer in 2017 on their Global Spirit Tour. That was the first time I actually saw them. But I was at Lollapalooza uh, in Coachella and a bunch of festivals they were at. Uh, I think they came here for two nights on the uh, Faith and Devotion, whatever, you know. Uh, and I had tickets, and for some reason I didn't go. I, I don't know what why, what my deal is with that. I did see Dave Gahan a couple of times, the singer, do a couple of solo uh, uh, records, a uh, couple solo tours. Uh, one of them, oh, God, every time I think about this, I kind of like, uh, uh, he actually did an in-store at the Apple Music in New York. That's one of the cool things about also like, you know, you're living in New York, it's so cool and it's so expensive. Well, here's what happens. The Apple Music here at the uh, Apple Music, or sort of the Apple Store here at the mall here in Frisco at Stonebriar, they're not going to have Dave Gahan come. But it's New York and he, he lives, you know, a few blocks away. Those things can happen. But what I think about is, man, I was kind of, I was seeing this gal at the time kind of whatever and uh, whatever it was just that it was that weird new york thing and but i was way more interested in this other gal but okay so the girl i was kind of officially seeing was really into depeche mode and i ended up taking not really taking i i told the girl i was seeing about the show of course and was going to kind of meet her up there and i don't know things got switched around and then this girl I was really into literally lived across the street and we went and like after the show was over, me and her ended up going backstage, or, or I guess I guess you would say the 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 manager's office, or whatever. And we ended up meeting Dave and, and going down out the side door because I, I didn't realize he had this this Beatles like following people still following him around. This was probably in two thousand in seven, I think. Maybe, 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 probably around that time. Anyway, it, and so we ended up like riding in the car with him to go to this bar that his a guy in his band named Graham owned, and uh, and I did text that the other girl and say, hey, listen, uh, I think Dave's gonna be here and blah blah blah, and uh, and he never showed up. So I just I feel like I totally dogged her, like you know the one that kind of deserved it, uh, didn't get to kind of be part of the fun because I had. I kind of had, uh, you know, my own selfish crap going on. Anyway, I digress. Fun story. Okay. But one thing I wanted to tell you real fast about Depeche Mode was this. It was that I guess I've also spoiled myself in a sense because in this age of tribute bands, some of these tribute bands out there have are doing it so good and so well and so perfect that they're better than some of the times, the last few times I've seen some of the bands that I like. And my friend Julian Sage is in a band uh, called Strangelove. 
of course, the title of, of a um, Depeche Mode song. And they're kind of like recognized as like the, you know, official Depeche Mode tribute band. Even like Martin Gore has given them some of the, 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 the stem tracks that they use using the actual tracks. And they put on an amazing show. I've been going to see them for the better part of the last five to seven years. And it gets better. They add to it. Like the show I saw seven years ago made me want to come back. The show I just saw five months ago, I can't wait to see them again. Um, in fact, I think they just played again like last week. They come up for band being based in Los Angeles. They actually come here quite a bit. But I think I missed the last one. But Julian's always great about calling me up and inviting us to come out there. So anyway, check out Strangela. But yeah. Another band that began in 1981, freaking Depeche Mode. Now, all right, now, now for all you nerds, my gamers out there, uh, 1981 was a huge, huge year for just like the all-time classic. If there was a Beatles and Rolling Stones uh, video games, well, guess what? 1981 also gave birth to them. We, we talked about Donkey Kong came out over the summer. Well, if you go to any place that has, let's say, just one or two stand-up arcade games still, a pizza parlor, anywhere you go, you could already can guess, if you live in America, what most likely those games are going to be. And it's most likely going to be this one, which was Galaga. If you, I know you've seen the dual cabs of Galaga and Miss Pac-Man, which came out a little bit later. But, of course, you know, the grand, the Beatles of them all. Of course, Pac-Man debuted the previous December uh, in America in 1980. Um, and I, a, a lot of people don't realize this, but it's actually the sequel. Galaga is actually the sequel to a game called Galaxian, which I also love. It came out in 1979. But, yeah, man. Uh, hello. Hi. Everything I've told you. Metallica, Slayer, Sonic Youth. Uh, Depeche Mode, all this stuff, Elvira, and also Donkey Kong and Galaga, and freaking Defender. Uh, you might have seen, also seen Defender and Stargate. Defender is a scrolling shooter game. Uh, it was developed by Williams Electronics in 1980, and of course it was released in the arcades in October of 81. And, and there's so much to say about this that's crazy. Uh, it was where the player must have fit waves of invading aliens while protecting astronauts. But the development was led by Eugene Jarvis. Now, Eugene lands hard with me because I'm a big pinball guy. And Eugene was a pinball programmer over at Williams. and But Defender was his first video game project. And it drew inspiration from, of course, you know, Space Invaders and Asteroids and all that. Uh, and they demonstrated it in late 1980, entered production in early 1981, and then here it is. So, I mean, and, and I know you've seen those, maybe the Defender Stargate kind of dual cabs as well. And check this out. This is the one that, that probably lands the hardest for me. More so in the home gaming thing. But on October 22nd, if you can believe it, uh, f the game Frogger comes out in the arcades. Now... Everybody has that one gift, that one Christmas, that one birthday, and I can't wait to talk about it. I, I, I love doing these episodes so fucking much. Is it, It's all I can think about. All I can think about is the you know, and I'm not just going to be spitting out, you know, Wikipedia facts. I'm, I'm placing you there. I'm telling you a people's history, where I was. I want to hear where you were. I want to hear your memories. And, and none more so the 80s and none more so the 1982. I can't wait to get to that. 
but we're having so much fun with this. And I said, I, I kind of played around with it before. We kind of did, did a little bit of 83, a little bit of 87. I didn't really go full on till 89, but then I was like, man, wait, we get to start over here. So, so anyway, uh, but everyone has that one Christmas. And for me, Christmas of 82, which again, I'll talk about more on next year's episode, I got the Atari 2600. And my dad's favorite game was Frogger. And that whole thing where you have to reach behind the TV set and switch the little thing over from whatever, UHF to gamer or whatever. And uh, man, the memories I have of that. And what's pretty cool, if you check on our website, is that there's an annual video retro video game festival that happens right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area called Retropalooza. And, and they just had theirs. And, and this time I took the kit, my, my children. I have a three-year-old and, a, uh, and an 18-month-old. And we had a ball, man. And what a great thing to be able to celebrate the 40th anniversary of freaking Frogger. And they had it all set up with a bunch of great retro games. It's a great thing. It's basically just kind of like a, you know, like a little... Um, I don't know, like a little, what we say, bazaar, like a fair, uh, where you, you know, there's a bunch of vendors there that are, you know, peddling and, you know, trading and buying and selling, like a flea market, right? And then on top of that, they also have gaming setups and they have, you know, different panels and speakers and stuff. It's pretty cool. And I've gone, I think pretty much, I think this was the seventh year they've had it. I think I've gone every year that they've done it. Uh, but yeah, but, but the beater with my children this year, you know, and, and, and golly, I have pictures of me sitting in front of the TV set, holding that joystick, playing the 2600. And now I've got pictures of me doing it with the kids because we have the flashback. I love those flashback things. And so you gamers out there that are paying attention, I do this all the time separately uh, on Twitch. I'm a Twitch streamer now under the name, of course, DJ Tricky Kid. So check out, check that out. Go on to twitch.tv. Uh, and you'll be able to see and just type in DJ Tricky Kid, twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. And, you know, I stream almost every day. So, and we do all different types of stuff and not just gaming. I do, of course, you know, special DJ sets on Sunday nights. We do hot pepper challenges, unboxings, lots of great stuff with the holidays coming up, man. We're going to be really kicking in the high gear, but I do a lot of retro gaming. Usually when you go on Twitch, it's like, you know, game, you know, newer, younger people, which is that's exactly what it should be. But it's also cool for guys like me and people like you that might be listening that uh, that, that miss that stuff. You get to see me play it live and comment. And, and in hell, if you get on my Discord, which is also under DJ Tricky Kid, you could play along. You know, so be join that community. Be a part of that. Be a part of that with me, man. I'm 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 just growing it. So I don't. It's not. A, I don't have a, a large community. We have, I have a tight one and a special one, but it's not very large because I just began it. So would love for you guys to join us and be a part of uh, of that. Um, again, once again, it's, it's twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. And all right, now moving on to some other great things, uh, that, that happened also in the month of October, October the 7th, lover boys, everybody's working for the weekend. If you don't tell, if you tell me you don't turn this song up every time he comes on the radio, you're lying or you f- hate fun. You're a fun hater. Uh, also, if you can believe it, that same day. Imagine going to sleep on the 6th and waking up and then suddenly in your life you've got Lover Boys, everybody's working for the weekend, and Priscilla Barnes makes her first appearance as Terry Alden on Three's Company. Alden was brought in as the full-time replacement for Chrissy Snow, of course following the abrupt and controversial, I might add, departure of Suzanne Summers. Uh, and Barnes, would, and it, and it stuck, man. She stayed on Three's Company through the end of its run in 1984. And so... 
And I remember that was kind of strange because we loved that show. Some of my early memories of television, maybe my first memory of television is actually Three's Company. I can remember maybe as far back as like 77, 78, when I was like literally like three or four years old. Some of my first memories. And we loved that show. And I remember, and of course, we loved Chrissy. And of course, my dad thought she was hot. And But I uh, I remember it was just strange. And, and this is before, way before the internet. So you're not going to get any sort of, you know, juice or, or facts or anything. We just heard she was gone. And then it was just suddenly like it was kind of weird. And then it wasn't until maybe a little bit, but we weren't kind of aware till later it was because apparently she was hard to work with or things got to her head. I, I don't know if it was her fault, but that's just what we heard, you know? And then, and then it seems like every year that goes by, there's something else to, to add to the fact that, man, that she was just a monster, which I don't know if that's true. So it's not fair to say, but anyway, uh, I thought that was interesting. Cause again, and it's also funny to me too, that, you know, that, uh, you know, I remember that, you know, you think of, 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 you know, three seventies being such a seventies thing. And I, I, I always think about the, the 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 shelf life of some of these shows that some of these, you know, lasted into into the nineties. Like it's crazy when you think of, of of happy days or something like that that, you know, you feel like you watched after school, but you kinda knew then you were watching a rerun that originally aired in the seventies. It was crazy that Happy Days was still having its its still like ongoing run up until like 85 or something. I think the Jeffersons was until like 87 or something. You know, it's just crazy to think how long these shows lasted. Okay. Uh, man, October the 15th, just a week later, was a big, big week. Uh, first, and, you know, we're talking about Elvira started uh, doing her movie Macabre the month before. Well, one of the most famous and notorious horror films of all time, The Evil Dead. Um, I am, again, I've stated it a million times, I am not a horror person at all. Thanks so much to my dad for ruining all that for me, for just being some, you know, selfish asshole dad that just did what he wanted to do on, on, on his visitation weekends and just dragged, you know, a fucking six-year-old to see some shit he shouldn't have been seeing. And it just kind of ruined the whole thing for me. There, there's my therapy moment for you. See how, see how I'm triggered all of a sudden? No. Anyway, uh, but The Equal Dead is cool. I, that one I can get on board with because it kind of speaks more to what I mentioned earlier about more of kind of like that, you know, I did experience kind of a, a, a midnight madness. You know, we were, you know, Heavy Metal Magazine and kind of getting loaded and, and, and checking stuff out. And Evil Dead was part of especially Evil Dead 2, which came out much, much later. But that's where it all started, that whole thing. Um, I can't believe I'm, 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 I'm spacing his name. Uh, the Bruce guy, I saw him at, Texas Frightmare Weekend recently. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, so The Evil Dead, uh, Sam Raimi and all of them. I mean, it's a very DIY punk rock thing that they put together with them. So that's what's, that's also kind of what gets my support, too. Not only is it a great film, but it's also, you know, it's, it's got that working class grassroots thing going on that's very, very appealing to me. Same day, two of the biggest songs slash records of my entire life. Uh, one, of course, who doesn't know Olivia Newton-John's physical? It, that's so silly. Like, you know, when you think of the 80s and think about people doing aerobics and, and working out, because now, you know, you you had the ability because suddenly you had this thing called, you know, VCRs and, 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 and you could choose your program. That was the first example where you could choose your programming by, by buying or renting these. Couldn't rent them for a while, but buy these tapes and something you could work out at home. Well, and then now there was kind of a soundtrack. You know, I don't know what came first, but 
Anyway, but who doesn't know that song? And of course, my man Prince releases one of his most important, they're all important to me, but the album Controversy comes out in 1981. And that should instruct you guys to also check out our monthly Prince podcast. And it's not just like an episode that's on this show. No, it's a completely separate show that you have to subscribe to separately. If you're used to hearing the Prince shows around here, they have been moved over there. They've been grandfathered in. So you won't miss them if you'd like to hear them again or, or discover them for the first time. But now they become so popular that they're their their own show now called Prince the Encore. And you should subscribe on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you get your podcast. And I wanted to say that we'll be talking way more about controversy over there. I just wanted to acknowledge it here and wanted to say very quickly, uh, if you're interested, and we'll talk way more about this again on the other show, is shout out to my girl, D'Angela Duff. Today's her birthday. And she is like a great, great Prince historian, a part of this great Prince collective I'm a part of called the Purple Avengers. You should check us all out on Twitter. She's under Polish Solid, uh, at sign Polish Solid. Give her a birthday shout out. And she does these incredible symposiums up in New York every single year on big anniversaries. And she did one on controversy this year that was fantastic. Definitely get involved with that. And I will have information about that, of course, on our website at tricky-kid.com. And again, get involved if you're into Prince, because we had a lot of that. Check out the show Prince the Encore, again, which D'Angelo has has been a guest on uh, several times in the past. Okay, Uh, now, and more first and crazy things, okay? So then, a week later, October 26th, Iron Maiden plays its very first show with Bruce Dickinson as its dude lead singer in Bologna, Italy. I mean, 1981, man. I mean, if you came into that year as like a 15-year-old and came out of that year as a 16-year-old, you were a different person. People think that they choose what they become and, and you know, maybe in, the, in their jobs. and and But this stuff shapes you, man. What a, what a time to be alive around that time. And just two days later, on October the 28th, the Dodgers win the World Series versus the Yankees. That classic matchup, of course of Dodgers versus Yankees in Game 6 in the Bronx. So the Dodgers beat them in their own backyard. But, of course, you know, the Dodgers are originally from Brooklyn, and, and a lot of people will never, ever forgive them for leaving and uh, Ebbets Field and all that. Uh, but that was a very, very great. There's a, everybody has seen that one highlight of Tommy Lasorda, the very irresistible, lovable manager that, unfortunately, we lost last year. Uh, comes running out on the, onto the field, and he's as portly as he is lovable, and just such a great, great thing. Um, and I have memories of seeing that as a kid because I again had gotten turned on the baseball the year before. And the last day of October, of course, is also Halloween, and man, did 1981 celebrate Halloween that year. The punk rock band Fear's appearance on Saturday Night Live included a group of slam dancers, as they were called, before the word moshing came around. And among one of them, of course, was John Belushi. Now, Ian Mackay, of course, of Minor Threat, and of course, later Fugazi. Uh, and let's see here. Golly. Uh, Tesco V of the Meat Men, you know, legendary Harley Flanagan, uh, and, and John Joseph of the Cro-Mags, John Brennan of Negative Approach. 
because uh, what I, the story that I, I heard was that John Belushi was just super into this new thing called punk, whatever, even though it's 81, and I guess he'd been into it since the late 70s or whatever. But now he had a voice and a platform, and he wanted fear on the show, and he was one that was responsible for getting them on. Even back then, Ian MacKay, even being down in D.C., was just like a name. Like, hey, you want this? You want this to happen? You want this to go down? Ian is the guy who makes shit happen. And, oh, my God, I could I could do a whole series, of course, on Ian and Fugazi and what they've meant to me and my life and my friends and some of the adventures that we've had with Ian over the years. And I, cause I, I can attest to that because he's just he is what he says he is, just the most stand up dude ever. Anyway, so apparently uh, John Belushi got connected with Ian because he wanted some, I guess, slam dancers. And this is how they were recruited. And apparently, in order to, to, for the slam dancers to get in, the password, and this is not a Wikipedia thing, it's something that, I, that I, I've heard or read somewhere, uh, the password to get in to the show was simply Ian Mackay. You said Ian Mackay. You might have said minor threat. I, I think it was Ian Mackay that you had to say. The show's director originally wanted to prevent the, the, the slam dancers from participating. So Belushi offered to be in the episode if the dancers were allowed to stay. The end result, of course, if anybody's ever seen this, because you might have like gone, you, you know, you've seen all the little clips, like you know, ladies and gentlemen, this is a, a you know, this is Adele, or you know, that whole thing. Suddenly, you've probably seen this one thing. You're like, well, what the hell is that? Because it looks like Saturday Night Live, but it's like there's these crazy people that are literally tearing the place apart, and on Halloween, no less. And um, so the end result was the shortening of Fear's appearance on on the, on the show. They played I Don't Care About You. They played Beef Bologna, New York's All Right If You Like Saxophones. And he started the play Let's Have a War, the perfect soundtrack for fucking chaos when the telecast faded into commercial. They left right pumpkin remains all over the set and cameras and the piano and just all freaking mayhem uh, broke loose. Uh, I'm going to play just a quick, brief little piece of that uh, from that telecast as we take a quick break. Uh, so you can also can hear from our sponsors and everything else. But come on right back, man. We're having so much fun as we round out the end of the year of all things 1981. Our Halloween, I guess. And by the way, tonight, look out for surprises. Ladies and gentlemen, Fia! New York's all right if you like saxophones. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Tricky Kid Radio. While we take a short break, let me assure you this isn't an ad you can afford to skip. Simply be entranced by my voice so you can hear from these great sponsors. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. 
Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle, at TrickyKid2. Type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. It's again, your host, Roy Turner. All right, all right, all right. So, okay, so we had a theme here of things that began. Well, now we're still going to keep that going, but we're going to take a quick little detour to about something else that ended before we talk about something that started it all. And here we go. Okay, we're now into November now. Unfortunately, on November the 9th, the cast and crew of The Incredible Hulk are delivered a surprise this su- surprise despite maintaining good ratings the incredible hulk is canceled immediately despite executive producer kenneth johnson's attempts to convince cbs to buy six additional episodes to at least you know finish out season five i don't know who pissed off who because that doesn't happen nobody just says okay you're done even though you're you know you're you're maintaining your ratings you're making us money you know, maybe we'll, you know, if we can't stand somebody or someone's an asshole and hard to work with, at least we'll make it five more weeks till the end of, of the season. No, no, no. Like they were done. Now, I have incredible, no pun intended, maybe, I don't know, memories of watching that original show uh, with Lou Ferrigno uh, as the Incredible Hulk. Of course, you know, now the show would be in CGI and it would have all these incredible, you know, graphics and, and, and you know, technology would, would have really elevated that show. This was totally grassroots, you know, just a big weightlifter guy that was painted green with a green wig. And of course, but, you know, we didn't know the difference back then. But looking back on it, I wasn't the comic book guy yet. So you could say that I watched The Incredible Hulk, but the truth is my dad watched The Incredible Hulk. He loved that show. And I can remember some of the original comics that I owned, I think, were actually hit a few. He was like a collector, but he had, you know, rainy day, you know, maybe he might pick up one or two. Uh, and I remember, I wish I still had the original one of She-Hulk, because that goes for quite, quite a penny. But anyway... And looking back on it, the show would actually kind of bore me. I was still only six years old. And and it's kind of like, uh, you know, the only part I was interested in was when he turned into the Hulk. But what you had before them was very much a show that would hold the attention of an adult. It was very science fiction and, you know, uh, very technically based uh, stuff and drama and all that. And I, I would lose interest. I'd be over to playing with my cars and all this. And then, and I can remember, because, you know, I don't want to disappoint people. My little boy is the exact same way. Miles is so amazing. And I see this in him. And it's kind of what I think about. Like, you know, I didn't want to disappoint my dad 
And so, like, I'd be over playing with my cars, and my dad would be like, he's like, hey, he's turning into the Hulk. And I was like, oh, my God. So suddenly I had to, like, run over there and pretend that I'd been watching the whole time, and this was my favorite thing in the world. Uh, even though it wasn't, even though I really enjoyed, you know, that part of it. And I, and I also really enjoyed the the intro, like, like you know, the intro to the, to the show. But but Miles does that. Does that. I don't know if that's something little boys do for their fathers or is it something that we do, but I already see him. I'm, I'm such a people pleaser anyway. And I see Miles doing that. Like, you know, I'm watching something like, you know, and like, you know, we watch, I don't know, Scooby-Doo or wrestling. And let's say he starts to kind of like lose interest or something and I'll get him back into it. He'll come running over there. And I know it's not because he sees something he likes. He does it because he doesn't want to disappoint his dad. And for that, I love you, Mozzie. And I hope that when you get older, if you ever decide to, to, to come back and listen to these episodes, I hope that you know that how much that, that means to me and it will always will mean to me. Um, and that's the perfect segue into this talk about something meaning so much to me without exaggeration without hyperbole or whatever or hyping anything else it would be impossible to exaggerate what happened the very next day now i didn't get exposed to this until you know at least two years later but the very next day after the hulk is canceled i thought something ended and something began on november the 10th Motley Crue releases their debut album, Too Fast for Love. We talked about in part one how when we started the show off, because they began in January uh, of 1981 in terms of a unit that was together and and doing it. Like if you've seen the dirt, all that stuff that you're seeing was happening like in January. And they finally had their first show in April. And then by November, they released Too Fast for Love. Now, I could have and have actually done an entire episode just on this one album. I could do a whole series on just each song. It would, again, be impossible to exaggerate what this album means to me, what it has meant to me, and what it will always will continue to mean to me. It is my all-time number one desert island. I love Prince. I love Michael Jackson. I love Van Halen. But the one piece of art that is me, that is in my DNA that represents me none more so than this record. And uh, I have such a relationship with it. So when I said I actually have, when Motley uh, were calling it quits and doing that whole thing, you know, uh, the final tour, which, you know, I very much, you know, I'm not one of the people like, oh, I I didn't believe them. I knew it. No, I, I believed it. And I'm not one of the people who's like mad that they're back. I'm so fucking happy. And I will be in the front row in Atlanta on opening night next year. So, okay. Uh, but I did a, we did a four part series. I think it was, it was three parts. Um, and, uh, way back then in 2000, I guess 15, we, I did that. Uh, and it's just Motley Crue through the years. It's like, it's the eighties, nineties, uh, and the two thousands and maybe even the 2010s, but maybe we did four parts. I, I knew I could have done so many of that. But anyway, I encourage you to check that out. What I wanted to say for now, uh, in this to add to that and how excited I am for the show next year, is that they actually, there's this great comic book, and we're talking about comic books earlier with Incredible Hulk and all that, uh, called Z2, and what they do is they've been doing this whole music thing where almost like every album could suddenly be its own comic book. 
uh, we're talking about my buddies in Anthrax earlier. They did one with their album Among the Living that lends itself. I mean, they're, they're singing about comic books in the goddamn album. And they put together this great thing where each took a great like author of theirs that wrote a story about each one of the songs and put it together as like a novella. And a lot of people were getting on board with this. And not quite in that uh, capacity, but I saw that they're going to be working with Motley Crue. And it's called The Dirt, but instead of telling the story of Motley Crue, the actual story, it's a fictitious story about how they were like international jewel thieves or something. Anyway, it looks fucking awesome and ridiculously cool. And me, comic guy, Motley guy, those things are happening together. Can't wait. Have already have pre-ordered it, and you should too, by going to Z2Comics.com. Uh, after plugging that, I wanted to say that uh, one of my my most, uh, I, I would say, uh, I guess, longest friendships in, in, in of my life was around uh, the band Motley, and um, and there's one specific song on that record. Now they're all my favorite songs. If I had to pick one, it's probably the title track or or Starry Eyes. But there is one song. I don't know what it is. Maybe mix. I don't know if his if his guitar goes out of tune or something. But it's just one of these perfect moments that would never happen because if they oh hey Mook, your guitar went out of tune. Let's redo that. No, it's like the wart of this is what makes it. And in that one little bend right there, it has. This one little bend of the guitar strings just represents such a massive chapter of my life. And I, I talked a lot about it on that episode. So um, I encourage you, of course, to check out our 19, All Things 1981 episode, uh, I mean, playlist on Spotify. And it, of course, it begins with Too Fast for Love. And, of course, Starry Eyes is on there. And the song I was talking about that has that where like mix like guitar seems to go out of tune is uh, is a song called Merry Go Round, and there's just something about it, man. When he does that, that it just cuts right through me. I try not to repeat myself because again, I've already done an entire episode on this, but I just feel like, how do I move on? It's the 40th anniversary of Too Fast for Love. I should have done the whole episode about this, but also go to motley.com, man. You're gonna be if you see me right now, all I'm doing is sporting all their 40th anniversary drops. And with Christmas coming up, people, you know, like, hey, what do you want? My wife, my my mom, my family. I'm just like, just go to motley.com and just grab me something off there if you must. So big, big celebration. Cannot wait for those makeup dates next year. I know my man Vince kind of had a spill earlier this year, and and you can say what you want. I know he's been kind of in the in the news a lot for the wrong reasons, but man, at least there's a there's a Motley Crew show to go to. There's a tour happening, and man, I can't wait to be a part of it. So, forty years of Too Fast for Love. Check out those archives. I tell the story about how I got turned on to it a few years later in '83 and purchasing with my own money in '84. Uh, I guess actually I should say 84 when I turned on to it. So uh, anyway, uh, I love this record. I listen to it still almost every single day. And again, check out the our Spotify playlist called All Things 1981 that begins with Too Fast for Love. So anyway, it's hard to move on from that, but we're go- we're gonna we're gonna try here. So three days later, 
a movie. <laughs> I can kind of tie this in here a little bit. This is kind of crazy. On November the 13th, the movie Porky's comes out. So if you're a younger person and you you know the American Pie franchise, which is also like 20 years old, by the way, and this is 40, this is actually the precursor. This is like the horniest movie of all time. Like I, you can't have a movie poster or, or anything, any literature or trailer without... It's just a horny teen movie about horny teens doing, you know, being horny. That's the only really way to explain it. This is again where the 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 provocative seventies hasn't gone away yet. You know, you, it's because the clock struck midnight uh, in seventy nine. It's now the eighties, and now with Ronald Reagan and conservatism, uh, it, it, some parts of it still felt, still felt very much like the 1970s, and, and maybe none more so than Porky's. I definitely should not have seen this movie as young as I did, and I didn't see it in 81, but I did see it on one of those cable things. You know, like when you're a kid, kids in the 80s will remember trying to, to see maybe some things that they weren't supposed to, only because they wanted to see them because they were told they couldn't, nothing more. And one of those innocent type of things where they, uh, the image would be scrambled and you'd like try to still watch, like, why am I not supposed to be seeing this? And I can remember seeing Porky's and going, holy cow. Because it is, it's 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 very raunchy. It's a very raunchy film. But if you can believe this, and I still wish that I had it, uh, and one of those like you know your toys that got misplaced and not from my not from my parents. Uh, they, my mother was never that one that threw my stuff out. I won't tell this story because it bums me out. But anyway, I had a quite a Atari twenty six hundred cartridge collection. And even with the flashbacks and the emulators and stuff, I've never seen this game again to port or to hack your thing to do it. And probably with good reason. And I probably don't really have any real need or reason to play this game ever again. But if you can believe it, Porky's was also turned into an, a game for the Atari, an 8 bit game for the Atari 2600. Okay, I assure you, the only people that were playing Atari were literally people that weren't old enough to see that movie. That's a weird thing. And what's even weirder is that there's a famous thing uh, in the film, the Porky's Course, is the famous shower scene, um, where these guys are, you know, I guess I guess they're selling it as innocent now. People would be, of course, super offended by these young horny teens trying to to, to get a peek at some gals. And uh, I won't I won't go any further than that. You'll have to see the movie yourself. But anyway, like of course not the explicit part of it, but like there's a part there's a there's a, there's a screen a board of the game where it's the shower scene where you kind of enter this kind of Pac-Man type deal, and like kind of like how in the center uh, you would have like the ghost. It's like this kind of eight bit gal showering. It's insane. Um, and then the whole thing is that you're trying to get to the to get all these pieces to blow up a bar, uh, which is ran and by this tyrant uh, local moonshiner guy named Porky, because he's big. It's also a fat shaming thing. And if you think that's weird, wait till we get to Porky's too. Yes, there were more than one Porky's. Um, in fact, there were three of them. And I'm actually right now looking in my office. 
uh, to my signed soundtrack to the third installment, which was called Porky's Revenge. So I cannot believe that all of that was happening uh, also at that time. Okay, now, we mentioned earlier uh, on part two about the Princess Diana wedding. And I remember seeing that at my Aunt Edith's house and how it seemed to last like 24 hours, only because maybe we, we stayed up late or something because of the time difference in the UK. But for me, the wedding that I remember the most was actually a fictitious a fictitious one. Uh, and, and it landed on such an important day that is going to breed so much in this episode. So here's what I'm getting at. On November the 16th, the, US, the United States soap opera General Hospital had, of course, everybody knows the two characters, Luke and Laura Mary. It is the still the highest rated hour in daytime television history. It's just one of those things that just caught fire. That would never happen now because people have so many options now with streaming and all the apps and there's a million different things. And, you know, back then you could like you could tape shit, you know, just, you know, record it off a of TV or TiVo it or DVR. You had to be there. So that's why tuning in was so important. You, you didn't you couldn't have the attitude of, oh, man, I'll watch it later. But what's interesting is that why watch it at all? Why? Why would somebody who doesn't watch soap opera? is or home during the day i mean that would have been during you know school time i think i might have i think we might have like stayed home from school and was like allowed to or something it was that big of a deal luke and laura and god damn i miss that i miss if there's anything i miss you can't even say like general hospital or luke and laura specifically i miss and love that I miss that innocence. I miss t TV is campfire watching. Why were we again? I'm only seven years old living in a trailer in the bottom of a hill. Why was I so wrapped up? And I didn't, I can't say I watched General Hospital, but just it's like the it was like the, the JR, the Who Shot JR thing that the, you know, the year before, everybody was just engrossed in this. And but this was just like they were getting married, and this was going to be the greatest moment like of our lives. And it's all we talked about. It was it was bananas. And there is anyway, there was a song that this guy wrote. Now I'm not talking about the Christopher Cross song. I know that of course a couple years later there's this super sappy song about the that Christopher Cross wrote, you know, sailing. It's not that song, but he the guy who wrote that song called Think of Laura, and it's a good song. Uh, but there was an, a, a more of a kind of a, I don't know, I guess some guy much later, like some obscure, you know, indie rock guy wrote a song, and it's actually pretty good. I was trying to find it, but anyway, um, I hate to do this. This is the part that I hate. I'm not a millennial or what, what do you call these people that are kind of credited with revisionist style, canceling everything, like, oh, wait a minute, you know? Eddie Murphy, yeah, sure, Raw was good, was funny, but did you know that he, you know, threw a drink at somebody? I, I don't, you know, whatever. And oh no, we can't like that. And uh, and I hate to be that when this is probably isn't that necessary, but like 
I remember, of course, being so engrossed in this whole Luke and Laura thing. But to show you how naive I was, I certainly don't remember this. When I was doing research for the show, for this show, to do this, I, I was excited to talk about Luke and Laura. And man, I found a footnote that I did not remember. Uh, that's a, it's kind of gross. It's kind of icky. Um, I didn't realize that how Luke and Laura actually originally met was via date rape. That is something that absolutely would not happen in any sort of storyline in this day and age. So I, I tell you that just to show you, like, I'm not saying that it's okay or it was ever okay or should have been okay. Just the the difference, and I and I don't remember that or would had any, have had any grasp of that back then. And because you know it 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 bred so much. I mean, the widespread media attention of Luke and Laura's wedding just it set up this like you know like the model for like other soap opera super couples. You know, all these shows wanted to duplicate their success. Uh, of course, leaving that little tidbit out. Of course. Uh, but they started incorporating the same type of action stories and romantic themes and tales of intrigue, which had originally contributed to Luke and Laura's popularity. So, like, they changed the game, man, you know? And even today, Luke and Laura are, are regarded as daytime television's the, the quintessential and most iconic couple ever. And as we mentioned, there's been multiple songs written about this fictional couple. I mean, that doesn't really happen, right? So I'm not trying to like piss on it by reminding you that of how their little love uh, uh, thing started, uh, and it's and it's unfortunate uh, that, but also just shows you how fictional uh, it is. But the but the idea is that, like I said, like you know, what do you do with that? Do you now look back and go, oh man, I shouldn't have been watching that, or I shouldn't have supported that? Of of course you shouldn't be feeling that way. I had no concept of that, and I have great memories and and knowing that it's kind of, now it's kind of like ah but uh you know it doesn't change the fact that i remember how excited we were and and gathering around with my family to watch it so anyway that's my piece on luke and laura still the most iconic couple in soap opera history but the main main thing i wanted to talk about that aired on november the 17th by the way and again talk about a one-two punch the day before the literally the day before one of the most iconic singles ever was released now technically it would it's considered historically as a one-hit wonder and that brings us to our special guest who you heard a little bit from in part two and now but now part three it's the full the full chat uh with my man tommy two-tone who of course is who of course is the singer and the front man for Tommy Two Tone off their second album that was released back in September of that year on the twenty third, uh, but on November the sixteenth, the single eight six seven five three zero nine Jenny is released. Now, who the hell doesn't know that song? That's one of those those things. Like, who the hell doesn't know that song? Paul McCartney knows that song. Barack Obama knows that song. Everybody knows that song. And uh, so anyway, I wanted to share something quite special because in this interview, first of all, it's the only one that Tommy did that day. And I even asked him, and I said, have you done any press today? And he's like, and he said, no. And he wasn't even aware. He didn't know that, that this was, that we landed on the day of the anniversary. So it was all very special. And he finally 
reveals. He reveals who Jenny is. That's been a long debated thing. And whether you believe it or not, what, what, what he's saying has never been said before. So at least it's something, you know. The guy who actually wrote is a guy named Jim Keller, who was in, in Tommy's band. Um, and you'll hear him reference Jim as his partner a few times. They're not partners anymore, but... And uh, who claimed that it was a chick that he knew. And then the other guy who wrote it was a guy named Alex Call, who actually was never actually in the band, uh, claims that there was no Jenny. But uh, he has a clear account and tells it very convincingly. And it's just, it's new stuff that nobody's ever heard. So how you like that, man? An exclusive here on Tricky Kid Radio. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play the song 8675309Jenny. And it's not like you haven't heard that song all probably already at least once or twice today. I, I try not to do that. I try not to be Captain Obvious and try to play a little some things here and there that you, ne- you never heard before. But it's appropriate uh, in this case since it is the 40th anniversary and we're going to be talking so much about it. Now, here's what we're going to do. We broke it up a little bit. I, of course, I asked him about MTV and I put that on part two for the MTV portion. Then we talked a lot about because the song is technically came out on November the 16th, 1981 in terms of a single. But it didn't take hold of you know, the, 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 the national consciousness until the spring of 82 and certainly not for us. So I'm also saving a bit of it also that we're going to have exclusive for our 82 episode. So I've been able to kind of break it up a little bit. I also have quite a bit to say because, uh, Tommy came to town, uh, uh, just a few days after, uh, as part of the Lost 80s Live. And I've got uh, a, a few funny things to share about that experience as well. So anyway, so check this out. We're going to play 8675309, uh, a song that is forever been in, has been in my DNA for 40 years and always will be. It always makes me feel something, and I feel something very specific and powerful and special every single time I hear it. I love this song. So... We're going to play that, and then we're immediately going to go right in to our interview with Tommy Two-Tone celebrating 40 years of 8675-309.
Tommy, how are you, my friend? I'm okay. You're Tommy Heath. The band is called Tommy Two-Tone. But well, it's convoluted. First off, my nickname in the little town of Mendocino where I lived after college was Two-Tone. Drove an old 54 Chevy Two-Tone. And my I named my band Tommy Two-Tone. I was partners with a guy named Jim Keller, and we worked on a call band, Two-Tone Keller. And we there was a big showcase, and Mike Varney from Shrapnel Records, he got us to open, and we got signed. It's Columbia. There was a bidding war, and Columbia won, and they just didn't like our name, Two-Tone Keller. So they insisted that we take my name, Tommy Two-Tone, and make it the band. Okay, but, you know, I make the comparison because, you know, like Darius Rucker from Hootie the Blowfish has to deal with you know, people thinking that he's Hootie or yeah. Vincent Fernier think, you know, people calling him Alice Cooper when it's the actual band. So I just wanted to kind of clear that up for our listeners that it is a little convoluted. You're Tommy Two-Tone. That's the name of the band as well. But you're Two-Tone. You know, you guys uh, actually had another top 40 hit the year before uh, with a song called Angel Say No. Talk about that yes. a little bit. Well, our first album actually has two hits once. So there was a song called I'm a Cheap Date. Got me actually out on tour with Tom Petty. Went to uh, 22, I think, or something like that. And But that, that fueled you guys to get ready for, of course, the next record, which was basically the, the sequel, which was called Tommy Two-Tone 2. Released on September 23rd, 1981, Tommy Two-Tone 2 comes out. Of all days, and the fact that we landed on today is so... Wait a minute. I, I had a flashback while you were talking. The date that that came out is today? Single, of the course, single. the big hit, 8675309 Jenny. The single came out 40 years today, November the 16th, 1981. Wow. And I didn't even notice. Wow. So, I was thinking next year I was going to put out a 40-year uh, remix of the whole album. I always said, yeah, it came out towards Christmas or Thanksgiving, I remember. But now you nailed it. On wow. the 40th anniversary. Congratulations, my friend. That's really interesting. Thank you very much. It, my partner, Jim Keller, is an incredible preppy. What do you credit with that song's longevity? There's something magic about the number. You know, today's the day. Maybe we could settle something because there's a lot okay. of debate about the actual song. And I'll say this. Okay. Okay. Jim Keller says Jenny is a real girl that he knew. You claimed in 2008 that it was a girl that you knew. And it was a joke that you guys wrote on a motel wall. In 2004, Alex Call who, who was the co-writer, but is not a member of Tommy Two-Tone and yeah. doesn't play on the song, says there was no Jenny. Right. Okay, okay, Tommy, it's the 40th anniversary. Let's set it straight, man. From my point of view and from Jenny's, because we're still friends, um, we think she exists. And I remember her handing me the number she told me to give it to jim and it was her parents phone number and the area code i don't know if i'm supposed to tell those folks but it's 408 wow they, she lived in los gatos in the hills above san jose and she ran the sound at a cool club in carmel california i wrote it on the bathroom wall but why would she have given you her number to give to jim because he's handsome she said hey will you give this to that 
good-looking guitar player. It never went away. I heard it twice today. Well, thank you. You're catching me up on my own history. I need to pay attention. The song led to a fad of people dialing 8675309 and asking for Jenny. Ah, uh, yes, it did. Sorry, folks. We never thought it'd be that big. We were just messing around. There's a guy who called it in every area code once or twice a year and told you the result. In 2009, the nutrition firm Natrin LLC actually leased 1-800-867-5309 from Partners Limited for $25 million. A million off that deal, though. Do you still make money from this song besides performing it? I mean, do you still get royalties and stuff? Yes, I do. And performance royalties uh, we now get from the internet, and they're they're pretty good. But we never you don't get performance royalties on radio in America. The follow-up was an album called National Emotion that was released on April the sixteenth, nineteen eighty-three. Uh, but it only peaked at uh, at number one seventy-nine. What was the plan there? Uh, Follow-up at all? Well. We should have ran in and got Mike Chapman or somebody to knock out a record in a month and stay out on the roads. You know, he he was just turning on hits for bonding everybody in. He worked really fast. But instead, we decided to record our concept album. We You could see the differences in us between Jim and I. I come up with maybe 10 good songs a year, and he's coming in with 10 songs a day. So we did a lot of crap on that record. People were afraid to mess with us. They didn't. They didn't know what made us different and why people remembered us because we didn't play that well. I have a new music site. It's called twotone.net. And I'm releasing all the music as wave files from the master. And it has my last album, Beautiful Ending, on it because we were totally hip, but we did this disastrous concert. I'm paying the price to be the poorest, famous person in the world, but I'm pretty happy. That's all that matters, man, right? Yeah, I need to keep you around as the two-tone historian. I'll give you a column. Call me up anytime, man. I I, I, okay. live, for this, I live for this stuff, man. Uh, Tommy, I've so much have enjoyed talking with you today on such an important day in your career. The next time we'll do this, it'll be in person, my friend. Oh, great. That'll be fun. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Tricky Kid Radio. While we take a short break, let me assure you this isn't an ad you can afford to skip. Simply be entranced by my voice so you can hear from these great sponsors. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle, at TrickyKid2, type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook, and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. I'm here with my friend Roy. He is talking all things pieces of me. 
This is Tiffany here. Always, always tune in to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Again, your host, Roy Turner. Want to thank Tommy so much for joining us. I mean, how cool is that? Is that for our 81 special celebrating 40 years of such an iconic song, that seven-year-old kid living at the bottom of the hill in a trailer in, in, in Benton, Arkansas, Tommy spoke to one person that day, and it was me. And that means a lot to me, and that was very special. Um, I wanted to say a couple of things, and it just doesn't do anything to compromise uh, my experience. But I thought, you know, I'm also a realist, and I wanted to share a few things with you. So I originally reached out to, to Tommy because I, I, I needed some, obviously I needed the guest. And again, I heard that he was coming to town as part of, uh, again, this lost 80s live thing, which is just kind of a, there's no really nice way to say it. It's just a collection of what you would call one hit wonders or people you would only know from one song. You might not even know the name of the person who sang it, who individually probably couldn't, you know, draw more than you know less than 100 people but collectively it's like that's it's like a playlist it's like a live mixtape it's a lot of fun and i've gone before and i enjoyed it so okay so this probably isn't going to make me a whole lot of friends and this and i certainly don't want to want to rain on the parade of the fun i don't really hold tommy in any sort of ill will about this uh, I think Tommy is a couple of things. I think one thing is that Tommy's also, he, admittedly, he's also, believe it or not, painfully shy. And him being painfully shy, sometimes it can be kind of hard to navigate him a little bit. And I think he would probably would would, would think or would might be disappointed to hear me saying anything at, other than, than how great the chat was. Because I, I very much did enjoy our chat very, very much. But I would be remiss... Uh, this is my show, so I wanted to, to give you the, the the other end of it and the, the full story. So here here we go. So again, uh, I reach out to Tommy and I hear back from a guy who is a promoter. Um, I'm not going to say his name. He's a, I think he's a, he's a local guy here in Texas, and whatever. And he messaged, called me and said, "Hey, well, you know, we want to have Tommy on your show and everything else because he was Tommy was going to be doing an in store." Actually, the first thing I heard about was he was doing an in-store appearance at this great place, this great store in Fort Worth called Chief Records. Shout out to them. If you're in the area, go check them out. They're out there by the stockyards. Okay. Then he was going to be playing as part of, again, this Lost 80s Live thing the next day. So we were been, been trying to, you know, set it up and what would be the, the good time and the good day. And and it was kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let Tommy know this. I'll let Tommy know that. It was... He was very, very clear about being this kind of buffer guy. I guess he felt needed or something. I don't know. It was it was a little weird. So after a couple of things, we finally landed on, which thankfully was the actual day, which both of them were oblivious to, as you just heard in the interview. Okay, cool. Then it, it, it progresses to that Tommy also might need, and then he's just flying down here to, to do these two shows and the one in Houston, and that's it. And he might need an, a guitar, an instrument. So I was like, "Hey, whatever you need." But again, the promoter took care of all that. I made, you know, yeah. I asked him. I said, "Hey, Tommy, asked me about this." He's like, "Oh, I got him covered. Don't you worry." Okay, cool. Then here comes the night of the show. Um, I was gonna go to the in store. I wasn't unable to make it. I'm out in Frisco, and it was like uh, at a time where it was it was like six o'clock. 
prime traffic. It would have taken me two hours to get there and I would have missed it. And I was like, man, I'll just have to catch him tomorrow. Okay. So, so that didn't happen. And I see the promoter who, who sent me a friend request on Facebook is he's like, you know, taking Tommy all over, you know, to the barbecue. He's like every 10 feet is he's like doing the whole selfie thing and all that. Okay. Whatever. That's cool. So the night of the show, you know, I'm like, well, hey, you know, am I, am I actually, you know, you still haven't let me know. Am I coming to this? Am I invited to this? And it was just very, this kind of this very formal thing that people in those types of positions, which if you don't know, I'm not the radio guy. I, I was, I have been a promoter and a manager and a, and a tour manager and, a, and all that stuff. So I know how, how that game is played and what, what goes there. And I know, and I've met these types of people who think that it's like the assistant manager at Best Buy. It's like the, the wrong guy has been given just any amount of authority is too much for these types of people. And, and I was like, hey, man, we all set for uh, for tonight. And this is like four o'clock in the afternoon. The show's supposed to start at like six. He's like, submitted, but not confirmed. Did you really see him doing that to somebody he had any real respect for? And on top of it, you know, he was he was just, you could tell he was kind of enjoying this for whatever reason. But, you know, but again, I'm grateful and graciously uh, about six o'clock. And I'm thinking, man, I'm a dad of two, bro. I don't, I don't have time to sit around. And, 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 and to be quite frank, again, this is, you know, not the most, you know, um, you know, this is a show that's very much in need of, of promotion and, and stuff, especially a lot of it had been canceled and due to COVID and that kind of thing. Okay. I know it's like, I'm complaining and, and I've talked too long about it, but fuck it. This is my show. All right. So I thank the promoter and I, and I get myself down there. And again, it, it internet in of itself was about an hour away and with no, asked for a schedule, didn't get one. And it's kind of a random thing because each of these acts only get like sometimes as low as like 15 minutes, like 15 or 20 minutes. It's not like two or three acts. It's like 10 of them in like a like a three hour window. So I found out that I got there about 15 minutes before Tommy is scheduled to go on. And I was very happy about that. And much respect. Uh, had a pair of great tickets uh, right down front, and I was excited to do this. I'm going to hear this song from the guy who sings it after, again, our chat, as you just heard. As you can tell, it's, it's been heavily edited just because he talks in such a, a, a weird cadence that it might have been, it was, it, was, it was challenging, very much challenging, and might have been fr downright frustrating for the listener. So I had to, to our editors really had to fill in the gap because he would, he would talk like, well, I think, and then say this like tangential non sequitur that these people are, oh, I'm sorry, what was the question? Like it was a lot of that. But again, I don't want to disappoint Tom because I, I feel like I endeared myself to him. I think he really enjoyed it and he told me as much. So don't want to get ahead of myself here. Okay. So I get there right as he comes on and he hands down, not to be biased, was the best one. Uh, there, at least the ones that I saw. I think I saw like the Anything Box, then Tommy Two Tone, then I think it was followed by Drama Rama, um, and then uh, Stacy Kugel we'll be talking about here in, in, about in a second as well. And Emotion, who does that? Yeah, you're my obsession. You know my obsession. What do you want me to do? Uh, okay, 
So I see Tommy, and it was pretty good. He did like a four-song set. He even did Cat Stevens' Wild World, which is like my song to my my little girl. If you've seen the video, I'm also a filmmaker, as you guys know. And, and I made a video that documented her birth and how we found out and all this great stuff you can see on our YouTube channel. I encourage you to check out. It's under the name Danica Simone Turner. And the feature of that is that song. So, And Tommy didn't know that, and I thought that was kind of a, of a cool coincidental kismet type kind of deal and it was just strong and i realized that the band went on stage was just like you know i mean let's be be honest this is kind of a sad show there's no money in it it was attended pretty well thankfully but it was like tommy was in town and there was like four guys that this promoter guy had hired to kind of you know round out it was just a house band for for all the acts okay now Here's where I will take myself to task. Tommy mentioned after the show he was going to be, and they've done this before, like after the bands will pl- the band plays, the act they'll go to an area, this little table, and they'll like you know sign stuff and set stuff in. And I, I wasn't gonna be part of some fucking meet and greet, but I thought it'd be kind of cool to say hello. I told him I was going to. He said he was looking forward to you know to talking with me. Thought we would. I never get to go out uh, a lot, and uh, and I'll admit I was a little buzzed, okay? And the only reason why I say that was because I probably, if I hadn't have been buzzed, and this doesn't let this promoter motherfucker off the hook, by the way. If I hadn't been buzzed, probably what would have happened was this. I probably would have gone by that table and, and introduced myself and said, hey, man, cool, or hey, man, why don't we get a picture or something? Not that I need a picture with me and Tommy Tuton. I already have one from the, the Zoom chat. Uh, just to kind of be able to promote the episode, promote this episode, right? And, uh, and this is going to sound so like, don't you know who I am kind of thing, but this is just, I probably wouldn't have done this, but I don't see the harm in this. Okay, so after he was done, I went to the bathroom, got a drink, and I go over there, and I see there's like a gaggle of people that are about 20 people that are hanging out and, and several of them recognized me from this show and they recognized it from, from our episode. I said, hey, aren't you the guy that was, you know, uh, on the fourth anniversary? And so I'm kind of doing my own little meet and greet. And, uh, and, and a long time passes where it kind of seems that Tommy's probably not coming, even though he even said from the stage he was going to be. And so I was ready because I wanted to see an emotion. I love that obsession song, whatever. And uh, so I go and I, I guess I check them out and I come back to see if he ever made it. And as I'm heading out, I look over and somehow Tommy is like walking like one half step ahead of me with the guitar. Then the way the crowd shifted, we're now walking side by side. So I thought, you know, before he goes over there and gets all this done, let, I can go and kind of get this done now. I can get it done, say hi. He can get on, you know, to, to greet his customers, and I can kind of get back to the show. Or at that point, I was probably ready to go home. So we're walking side by side, and I said, uh, I said, hey, Tommy. He goes, hey, man. And I said, hey, bro. I said, do you remember our chat on, on Tuesday? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, you're Roy. And I said, yeah, man. And then he says this, and this is a, maybe this, I shouldn't be reading too much into this, but I didn't, this sounds kind of weird. Then he says to me, he goes, so did you get your free ticket? Now that could just be simply a 74 year old man's who, who is shy and awkward in speaking's way of saying, Hey man, I hope you got your ticket. And I was hoping you were going to be here. But it was also kind of like, so did you get your free, t-? you know, like if that wasn't coupled with 
the next thing I'm going to tell you, then maybe, maybe I, you know, I wouldn't have had a problem. Because he even turned around to the promoter guy and go, hey, this is Roy. And I said hello to the promoter guy who was real standoffish and was acting like he was like, you know, hello, sir. And like, you know, like, you know, I, I, I'm, they're the stars. I should just be lucky to be there or some bullshit. Okay. So I don't need to get a fucking picture or whatever, but I just thought, you know, hey, before we start this, let's just go and get this out of the way. We can get it done. And uh, so we're walking and, and, and it's just the three of us, me, Tommy, and the promoter. And I said, hey, man, you know, just kind of chatting. And, I hand, and so I hand my, my phone to the promoter. I said, hey, man, I said, oh, before you do this, let's just get a shot real fast so I can get out of here and you can do your thing. And that motherfucker rebuffs me. Okay, like, I don't care. I will still hear 8675309 forever and love it. And he will be on the 82 episode. But he looks at the promoter guy and goes, <clears throat> let's get set up. And I was like, what the fuck? Fuck, I couldn't believe it. Okay. Now, I would normally have never have swallowed my pride. So I, so I, I, but I went and saw, I guess, whatever last act. I, maybe this was now when I saw Stacey Q. And I come back. And now, just the perfect time that... I can't believe that I came back. Because normally I would not have put up with that for two seconds. And um, anyway. And the line is starting to die down a little bit. And there's like one person left. And I even waited. So now it's just Tommy and the promoter. I approach the table. And that fucking promoter guy. And I hope you're hearing this motherfucker. Because in your entire life. Don't you ever fucking wave your fat fucking finger at me. I approached the table. You know I was courteous. I was patient. I don't even have to fucking be there. Okay. And I approached the table. And this motherfucker waves me off like I'm like like I'm some fanboy that doesn't know how to act. I'm some annoying fucking like whatever. I could not believe it. Well, again, this is where you, you don't really know where you stand with Tommy. Tommy sees it and gets up immediately and jumps over and goes, there he is. Hey, man, he goes, hey, I really enjoyed our chat. On Tuesday, and, and as you heard on the on the on the interview, he was like, "Man, I need to keep you around." As like the historian, and we had a great chat, and there's great pictures of it on our website. And and again, you know, Tommy Two Tone doesn't owe me anything, and I don't fucking sure don't owe him anything either. And sure as fuck, not that promoter fuck. All right, but it was just so fucking disrespectful and unnecessary, and it was such a thing of again, like I said, this guy has an authority where he, he thinks he does, where he thinks he can treat people like shit. Well, you can't. And when he saw Tommy being nice to me, he comes over and he goes, sorry, man, uh, we got to get to the bank. And I was like, the bank, the fucking bank at nine o'clock on a Friday. Like, you know, dude, go fuck yourself. All right. I don't, I don't need that kind of shit. So anyway, sorry to be a bummer. It's hard to be a buzzkill. But again, that's my show. I keep it real. I want you to know what happened. Um, and anyway, okay, but let's keep this fucking party rocking, man, because again, like I said, it nothing changes the fact that that's a great song, and Tommy, I still love you, man, and and again, I hope that you'll check out part two, where he talks about a little bit about, about MTV, and we're going to feature some more on, on the, the 82 episode next year, but how cool is that? Right here, you heard an exclusive of, of his side of the story about who Jenny was. But man, just what a weird week. Like I, I went from like, 
hey, maybe we'll have that Tommy Two-Tone guy on to like, suddenly it's this thing that has just been a constant and permeated this entire past week. It's nuts. It's weird. Okay, now, one thing I didn't want to say, that Stacy Q that was there, I know you guys all know her song, the, the two of hearts, two hearts that beat it. I saw her about 10 years ago at one of these freestyle things that was kind of, it's kind of the same thing, but that show was wild and fun and had this real kind of uh, horny energy to it, and she was super hot back then and and still was still hot even 10 years ago. And but keep in mind, she was like 30 something then she like when that hit came out like in 87, she was like 30 or 35 then, I think. And this is where it gets a little sad. Of course, she gets up and does her three songs. And I, I, I feel like I'm picking on her when I say this, but uh, it looked like I remember getting a a, um, a birthday card when I turned, I guess when I turned 30. And it was like a girl like in her 60s that was dressed up as like a cheerleader. With like the pigtails and all that, like maybe a girl even woman in her seventies, and, and it said denial, and like she still is thin and all that great stuff, and she had on like this little green tutu, but you could not hide the fact that it was like your grand—I mean, like your grandma—the the dark shades and the pigtails, it almost made it worse, and I was just like. And this motherfucker was rude to me at this shit. Get the fuck out of here. Anyway, but what I wanted to mention was was that a couple of things. One, even though her hit didn't come out until I think 87, she started her career in 1981. And I love that song. And uh, I almost bought her t-shirt. Uh, and I also wanted to mention that Karen Elaine Morton, as you heard uh, Tommy talking about who plays Jenny in the video, uh, who unfortunately passed away about seven years ago, some weird disease, some some rare disease she had. She was also earlier in that year in the movie History of the World Part One with Mel Brooks, which if you heard part one, not also of the movie, but of this of this series, um, I mentioned that after 40 years, Mel Brooks is getting around to, to doing part two as a series. And we talk about that. So check that out and also check out part one uh, of our series. Uh, another thing I wanted to connect it to that also an album that came out around that exact same time, uh, actually, actually one month, exactly one month earlier, I should add October the 16th that had a single, uh, that came out a few, uh, you know, a month later or two on November the 27th, which was the human league. So their album, uh, on October the 16th called dare comes out, but the single on November 27th is a song, Don't You Want Me. And it mirrors for me the 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 Jenny song because it's a song I, I maybe I heard it in 81, but I definitely heard it in 1982. And when I'm have already, even before I, I put this show together and I was, you know, whatever, I'm putting together my 1982 playlist and I'm sketching the stories that I want to tell. I tell I, I tell I do these shows. I make the music first on the playlist, and I sketch the stories around that. And the number one song for me that is the soundtrack of '82. It is my my friendship with my sister Nikki. It is Greyback, the apartment complex we lived in in Arkansas. Is Don't You Want Me? And so again, I asked Tom. You heard in the interview, or you, you'll hear. I asked him. 
I said, when you think of Jenny, do you think of 81 or do you think of 82? And he said 82. When, even though it came out in 81, when I think of Don't You Want Me, I think 82. So we're going to save that one for 1982. But I wanted to mention its actual date now. And for that matter, a third one would also would be that same month, if you can believe it. If you can believe all this happened, not only in 81, but in, this, in the same month. That Jenny is released on the 16th. On the 18th, Joan Jett releases, of course, her most famous single, I Love Rock and Roll. She's going to be also part of that Motley Crue stadium tour I was talking about earlier, uh, starting next year. And uh, and so that's a song that I also think about is definitely 1982. So it's kind of like, man, let's make an 81 playlist. Well, man, if I made any 82 playlist, it would definitely include Jenny, Don't You Want Me, and I Love Rock and Roll. So I'm going to save that one too. To talk about this thing that happened on the same day that Joan Jett released I Love Rock and Roll was also Suzanne Vega's, or or I should say this, Suzanne Vega's song Tom's Diner that came out many years later when she's taught what she's talking about in the song of Tom's Diner can be traced back to November the 18th 1981, which has become like Tom's Diner's Day, the date of the composition. Uh, to use clues to determine the exact date that Suzanne Vega wrote it. Again, this didn't come out until almost six years later. Uh, but she said she wrote it in 1982. Uh, but an, an author of an article that I read, again, Brian Rose, has said that it was written sometime between 81 and, and mid-82. The lyrics refer to a rainy morning when she was at the diner, of course, the Tom's Diner that, you know, in the Upper West Side from Seinfeld. When I lived in New York, I used to pass it all the time. And she was at the diner on the corner reading in her newspaper of a story of an actor who had died while he was drinking. And afterwards, turning to the horoscope and looking for the funnies. Only two newspapers in New York City carried comic strips or funnies in 1981. And 82, and only one, the New York Post, featured a front-page story of the death of Oscar-winning actor William Holden, whose body was discovered on Monday, November the 16th, 1981. He had died from a fall at his apartment and suffered after drinking excessively. In a 2008 essay for the New York Times, Vega confirmed Holden was the actor whose death she said she had read about and inspired the line from the song. On that day in New York, however, the weather was not rainy but overcast. Vega has acknowledged that Tom's Diner features a composite of events and that the rain was from a morning she remembered being in the diner during the spring of 82 after the initial events of the song. So there you have it. On the same day that Joan Jett releases I Love Rock and Roll as a single, okay, just two days after... Tommy Two-Tone does Jenny. Suzanne Vega is sitting at Tom's Diner in New York City and is inspired to write her biggest hit. How cool is that? Okay, a couple more things that, that, to round out uh, November. And uh, I'm going to try to find you, since it's Thanksgiving week, a, uh, a list of floats that may also have debuted 
uh, in the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade that year. And I, I don't don't hold me to it, but I'm going to do my best. And if, it, if I do it, it, I will point you to it on our website. Uh, but a couple of things around that week. On November the 23rd, Iran-Contra affair involving, of course, U.S. President Ronald Reagan. He signs the Top Secret National Security Decision Directive 17, authorizing the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, to recruit and support Contra rebels in Nicaragua. Later on, of course, a great band called Ticket Wright wrote, a, wrote a, uh, an album or an EP called Surf Nicaragua that's specifically about this specific thing. Um, and, and and two things happen also on the same day. One great, one not great at all. Uh, the not great at all thing is actress Natalie Wood unfortunately drowns in a boating accident off of San, Santa Catalina Island. And that same day, Soft Cell releases Tainted Freaking Love. And what's crazy is that I think God, like after like 20-something years, maybe even longer, okay, that in July of this year, they're actually back in the news, that they announced that, that Soft Cell announced that they were reuniting. Just like, I mean, freaking ABBA has, has reformed. And all these people... Uh, you know, 1981 is out there. Mel Brooks is writing the sequel to History of the World Part 1. I mean, can you believe this? Uh, their album is going to be called Happiness Not Included. Uh, I've already heard a couple of songs like Hearts Like Chernobyl, Light Sleepers, Nostalgia Machine. It's actually supposed to be released in spring of 22. And that will be tw 20 years to the date. Tw 2002 was their last record. So 20 years later. So check out that. We'll have that on our playlist uh, probably for next year. But yeah, the return of Soft Cell. Uh, something about these reunions that are just inspiring people. And I love it. I hope that this show has inspired you. And hey, we're going to take another break. And we'll be back for the final month, the final run of this great year for all things 1981. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Tricky Kid Radio. While we take a short break, let me assure you this isn't an ad you can afford to skip. Simply be entranced by my voice so you can hear from these great sponsors. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle, at TrickyKid2, type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook, and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. I'm here with my friend Roy. He is talking all things pieces of me. 
This is Tiffany here. To always, always tune in to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Once again, your host, Roy Turner. All right. So now we get to the final month of 1981. Appreciate you guys uh, coming on this ride with me on all three parts. And what a fun ride it's been, right? I mean, holy cow. And we heard from Tommy Two-Tone and, and went through all this great stuff. And I'll have pictures of it on our website at tricky-kid.com. And now that it's the holiday season in real time here in 2021, we'll take you through the final month of 1981. Uh, A few things. Uh, On December 4th, uh, the movie on Golden Pond uh, was released in theaters. I remember that pretty well. I think it swept the Oscars the following year couple of pretty important records that obviously I wasn't turned on to at age seven that I found out about later was uh, Black Flag, the punk rock, of course, Black Flag's Damaged, uh, their first record with, of course, Henry Rollins. And then uh, that same day, think about that, that same day, if you were a certain age and a certain, te- uh, you know, like a teenager going to the record store, after everything I've told you that started this year, also Black Flag's Damaged and Venom's Welcome to Hell. Both came out on the same day. Just, you know, hey, if that wasn't enough to to finish out the year, we're going to give you these two landmarks. A week later, Muhammad Ali uh, unfortunately loses to Trevor Burbick, and this proves to be Ali's last ever fight. Check this out. At 236 pounds, three times the former heavyweight champion in the world. Listen to the hand for the great ex champion. Ali's against the ropes, trying to lean back in the way for uh, perfect punches. Punch Ali did it! Punch Ali did it! Punch Ali did it! Come on! Perfect landing some good punches while Ali tries to hold on. Yeah, some good punches will land it. This is what Ali's trying to do. This round he wants to stay away and use that jab. Good combination by Aldi. Perfect holds him again against the ropes again. Holding perfect corner. That's some fight, hasn't it, fellas? Very good. Oh, fantastic fight. Even though this is the 10 round fight, this is history. Aldi is trying. So is perfect. These punches are really getting out there. Ali wants to put on a last-second rally. 30 seconds left to go. Robert drives him back again. You know, knocked out now. There it is. It's all over. What a fight. Tremendous fight. A tremendous Very good fight. J. Edson votes 99-94, unanimous decision for Trevor Burbick. Well, there you have it. Trevor Burbick is the unanimous decision. Judge Butler, 97-94. Judge Gray, 99-94. And Jay Edson... Okay, and speaking of the holidays, I'm sure this wasn't taped on this day, but it aired on, I guess this probably was a Friday... 
December 25th, Christmas Day, uh, our friend Chuck, I say our friend, I'm, I'm kidding about that, uh, and you'll see why. Uh, Chuck Woolery hosts his last episode of the, of the NBC game Will of Fortune, uh, quitting over a salary dispute with series producer and creator Merv Griffin. Three days later, I guess they already had him in the pocket. Three days later, that Monday, and again, I'm sure that was probably was taped ahead ahead probably more than three days. But that Monday, December 28th, Pat Sajak began hosting. And, you know, a lot of people, of course, you know, obviously you equate Wheel of Fortune with Pat Sajak and, of course, Vanna White. But a lot of people forget that Chuck Woolery was the original host. And I do remember that. Uh, a couple things about Chuck Woolery. Uh, my dad loves game shows. And I used to have to, he would tape them when he was away at work and I'd have to help him figure out how to do the VCR. I mean, okay, he could watch. If there was like some sort of like cable channel, which there probably is, it just shows game shows all day long, that's what he would watch. And uh, pay, and uh, Chuck Woolery went on to host a show, of course, called uh, The Love Connection. And that was his favorite show. And I enjoyed it too. And he did the whole like, we'll be back in two minutes and two seconds. He'd go two and two. And something about that was charming and fun. And we would mimic that. It sucks to find out that Chuck is in news right now. Maybe he's just some guy hanging out in Palm Springs and doesn't know what the hell it is, and he's having trouble navigating these woke waters. And in certain degrees, we all are. But he seems like a real asshole, unfortunately. Uh, some of the things I've heard him say, he just seems like some rich, clueless dude who's on the side of of that bubble of that's not reality-based at all, unfortunately. Okay, don't want to end the 81 that year. I think I talked a little bit about this in part one, so I, I was trying to keep a record of everything I talked about, but I will say this. A few other things uh, that started. I thought I went to the TV shows, but just very quickly, check it out, man. All those like soap operas, Dynasty, the the the, 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 the primetime uh, soap operas, Dynasty, The Fall Guy, Simon & Simon, Falcon Crest, Hill Street Blues, all started in 81. One of my favorites, of course, was The Greatest American Hero. Who doesn't love that theme song, which is on our Spotify playlist for 81. You should check it out. But also, Entertainment Tonight, and you can't do that on TV. Now, I know I talked about Love City and Give Me a Break on Part 1. And I think I might have talked about the cartoons, but I loved Goldie Golden Action Jack. This weird cartoon of Laverne and Shirley in the Army. And holy cow, the freaking Smurfs started in 81. And that was one of my all-time favorite shows that I now watch with my kids. Uh, some births here. Uh, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but let's see here. Um, Elijah, a lot of people turning 40 this year. Elijah Wood, Justin Timberlake, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Alicia Keys, Beyonce, Britney Spears, Jennifer Hudson, Paris Hilton, who just finally got married, by the way. I saw the thing with her. She looks, she looks great. And, of course, her co-star in The Simple Life, Nicole Richie. Man, it was like the babes were born in 81. Man, Jessica Alba, Jamie Lynn Siegler, Natalie Portman, Tila Tequila, Rachel Bilson, uh, adult stars Aurora Snow and Sonny Leone. And I should tell you, you should check out our, we have a... Um, a sister show called now called Tricky Kid Radio After Dark. You know we don't exclude anyone or anything and 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 certain topics, but we do put them in a situation in a in a in a in a its own show just because it's not you know for for everyone. It's not for all listeners. And what's so great about this show is we do such a wide variety back. I wouldn't want you know this week's episode to be like ah eh, maybe that's not for me. So we just put that specifically and we talk about all types of different things. 
Um, and we've again, we've had everybody on from uh, stars from the adult entertainment industry to, you know, people talking about, you know, suicide prevention, you know, and that's, you know, that's also something that could trigger people. So we, you know, it's, it's still a mixed bag. Like this show is, it's just a mixed bag. That's just a little bit more, you know, for 18 and up. So I encourage you to check that out. It's called tricky kid radio after dark. And we're on Twitter under that handle under TK after dark and lots of great interviews, lots of great chats, and lots of great talks. And I hope that you'll check check that out with. Uh, also in the sports world, Serena Williams, uh, Daniel Bryan, and Finn Balor. I guess I should say Brian Danielson now. Now he's in AEW, which that brings me to my next thing. And also Kofi Kingston, my man Kofi Kingston. Which brings me to my next one. You should check out our other podcast, part of the Tricky Kid Radio Podcast Network, which is called This Is Wrestling. And we're on again Twitter under TK Wrestling. I think I'm right, it's TKR Wrestling. Um and man, we've just had we've had a lot of great people on there. We just had my girl uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Roxy Astor, the original original Glow Girls. She's been on the show a couple of times. It was great to talk with her. She's a great friend of mine, and we, I love her dearly as a person and as a performer, and she's just a wonderful person. And uh, Lots of great interviews. Man, we've had everybody on that and a lot more coming. We're about to, we're about to have uh, Digital Spies Stephanie Chase. You might see her. She's a, a great, um, fun correspondent uh, in the world of professional wrestling uh, in 2021. Uh, we also lost a couple of people. I think I mentioned earlier, but of course, Natalie Wood and then American Boxer mentioned that it was the end of Muhammad Ali's career. It actually was the end of Joe Lewis's life. He was born in 1914. And uh, let's see here. And probably one of the biggest board games ever. And I, I golly, talk about, talk about the 80s. Also, it started in 81. What's Trivial Pursuit, man? So... That wraps it up, man. 1981. Can you believe so many things that started and permeates throughout the fabric of our lives every single day all started that year? Give me your 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 thoughts. Tell me what your memories are of 1981 or just what your thoughts are of this show. And and because I don't want it to be just a, a thing of just all this these facts happen. Give me a it's a people's history. You know what I mean? I was trying to find a couple other different things that you know, like I was trying to think, trying to find the, you know, which floats from the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade debuted in 81. Things like that I really enjoy. Uh, but in speaking of which, everybody, happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Hope you have a great holiday season. I love the holidays. It's my favorite time of the year. And we'll see you next week. This has been a presentation of Tricky Kid Media Originals. Distributed by iHeartRadio. Created and directed by Roy Turner. Edited and mastered by Marcus Miller. Theme music by The Buck Pets. Original score by Jocelyn Hunt. Artwork by Antora Sandy. Marketing and PR by Francesca Miles. Tricky Kid Radio is hosted by Roy Turner with introductions by me, Dana French. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.